Good morning. The scripture reading is coming from Joshua 8, 30 through 35. Joshua 8, 30 through 35. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as, as, well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord half of them in front of the Mount, of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at, at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Amen. Well, believe it or not, I'll say something rather shocking to most of you this morning. That is, I have made some mistakes in my life. Wow, I heard that, I know. And some of them have proven to be more costly than others. Amen? Much of life, if we realize it or not, beloved, that we are doing for the first time. Many times in life, and much of it, when we engage on a new adventure aspect of our life, we're actually doing it for the first time. And because we are doing it for the first time, we are bound to make mistakes. We're bound to get it wrong. You add to that the element of the fact that we are sinful and that our hearts are hard as well as our heads, then we know that we mess up. And we get it wrong. The first time that I left home, right out of high school, I went off to college. And I won't go into the details, but I will tell you this, I didn't get it right. I had to leave school after three years and five years of wandering out in the wilderness trying to make a way for myself. Five years later, I went back to school and the next time, I got it right. Because, beloved, we all mess up. We all make mistakes. One of the ones for me was school. Perhaps it was for some of you. Or perhaps for some of us, I'm sure 
might have been something as serious as marriage. Because of the hardness of your hearts and the sinfulness of, of sin, you may, you may have gotten marriage all wrong that first time. And now you're trying to get it right. For others of us, it's finances. Gotten ourselves deep, deep in holes. Because we were making decisions oftentimes for the first time. And again, because of the sinfulness of our hearts and the hardness of our heads, we got it wrong. Maybe it's just life itself, right? I mean, just life. You just get life. You've gotten life wrong. Everything, just all of it together, it just seems like everything you touch just turns to stone. Again and again. Making the wrong decision. Whatever it has been, beloved, the fact of the matter is all of us in here to some degree or another, have made mistakes, missteps, have regrets, and experienced the unintended consequences of sin and of not believing and not trusting and not obeying God. And yet, and I don't want you to miss this, and yet, the reason why you and I are here this morning is because no matter what you have done, no matter where I have messed up, this morning we serve and worship Yahweh. We serve and worship Jehovah, the merciful, the God of another chance. This is what makes grace so amazing. And I hope this morning that we can get a greater sense of what it means to be the recipients of God's grace because I believe that we often, more times than not, get that wrong. We serve a merciful God. We worship a most gracious God that in spite of our missteps, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our waywardness, in spite of us getting it wrong, God is gracious. God is merciful. He is the God of another chance. Donnie McClurkin, who said, we fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. For a saint is just a sinner who's fallen down but couldn't stay there. But before Donna McClurkin said that, God said in his word in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16, the righteous falls seven times and rises again. And rises again. You know what grace is, beloved? Grace is God's getting up power. That's what it is. Grace is God's getting up power. All of us fail. 
All of us fall. Some fall greatly. Some of us fall grossly, beloved. But grace is getting up power. What is? This is what Joshua learned. We come to chapter 8. Joshua. This is what the children of Israel learned. After they had fallen down against Ai, chapter 7, remember? God picked them up and gave them another chance to get it right. I wonder this morning if there's anybody here who could be reminded that God is a God of another chance. Is there anybody here this morning who needs another chance? And beloved, this message is for you. That's the God we serve. He's a God who is willing and able and delights to give you grace, that getting up power, and give you another chance. As we come to chapter 8, remember Joshua had experienced his first defeat at Ai. And after that defeat, God had revealed to him why they had had that defeat and how things had gone sideways and the mistakes that they had made in not trusting and believing and obeying him. But through that all, Joshua was a little shaken. And rightly so, beloved. Because it can be hard. It can be hard getting over a devastating loss. I mean, I know people who are still not over the Falcons losing the Super Bowl. That's a sore spot with my son when you bring it up. I didn't mean no offense, Amanda. I didn't. I really didn't. I really didn't. That's a sore spot with my son. He don't want to talk about it. It's difficult to get over a devastating loss. And so no doubt, Joshua was still a little shaken. He was still wondering about his purpose. There's no doubt about that, brothers and sisters. I don't have any doubt that Joshua, despite the fact that the Lord had told him what the problem was, and the Lord had, had showed them how they could recover from the problem. And they had executed the problem as God had determined that they would. There was no doubt that Joshua was still in his mind questioning his calling. You know this because in his mind, not only did he question his calling, but you remember that he questioned God. And so if God is going to give Joshua another chance, if God is going to remind Joshua that he is Jehovah, that he is Yahweh, the God of another chance, 
God is going to have to do one important thing, and we see that in verse 1 of chapter 8. Here is Joshua shaken. Here is Joshua, no doubt, questioning his calling. And what does God do for him? God repeats the promise. He repeats the promise for him. Says to Joshua, Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. You know what Joshua, you know what God did here, beloved? God took Joshua back to the beginning, right? He took him all the way back to the beginning. He took him back to that place where God first spoke to him. What did God say to Joshua then? What did God promise Joshua then? When Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, when he calls Joshua to lead his people, what did God say? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In chapter 8, God repeats the promise. I told you in the beginning, don't be afraid. I told you in the beginning, do not be dismayed. I told you in the beginning that I was with you. I told you in the beginning that I was your God. And just because you fall does not mean that I am no longer God. Just because you fail does not mean I am no longer with you. This is so good, beloved, for here is Joshua, no doubt, questioning again, are we going to be successful? And God comes to him, and God doesn't give him a new word. God gives him the same tried and true word. It's one of the things I just love about the Lord. I just love this about God. It's that God is always the same. You know, people treat you different when you fall. People look at you differently when you fail. Not God. Not God. When you fall and when you fail, God doesn't come with a new word, Brother Brian. He comes with the same tried and true word. I was God then, I'm God now. I loved you then, I love you now. I was with you then, I am with you now. That's why the psalmist says, even when your mother and father forsake you, even then, I am there to take you up. That's why I don't think, beloved, we get grace. I don't think we get it right. I don't know if we really understand God's mercy. That when people fall, when people fail, 
we treat them as if something strange has happened. As if it hadn't happened to us. But not God. Not God. Not God. God's word is the same. God is the same. We fall and we get up. And when we get up, God says the same thing he said before we fell. I still love you. I'm still with you. I am still God. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Your fall did not totally end the promises I made to you in Jesus Christ. No, no, beloved, no, no. And so therefore, not only does he repeat the promise, but having repeated the promise and reminded Joshua, Joshua, I'm with you. The king of Ai is yours. The city of Ai is yours. The land of Ai is yours. All that they possess is yours. And I can prove it to you because I'm not only repeating this promise, but I'm going to reveal a plan. I'm going to give you the plan for making all this become a reality. The promise was repeated, and now you see God now gives them a plan to follow. You know, God was not leading Israel the first time that they went in the Ai, right? And we saw that last time. God was not leading them the first time they attacked, attacked Ai. In fact, as we saw last week, not only was he not leading them, but God was against them. So we see in our text that now God is again leading. God is again with Israel. God is again repeating his promises. God is again revealing his plan. Look at verse 7. Here is God revealing the plan. It says, Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So this is Joshua, beloved. This is Joshua speaking to his commanders, speaking to the nation of Israel, laying out the plan of attack. He's going to take, the Bible says, some 30,000 troops. They're going to go with him. And the plan here is a plan of ambush. There's this elaborate rules that, that, that Joshua and the nation of Israel is going to set out for Ai. And they're going to draw the men of Ai out of the city. And once the men come and they flee from the city to chase this group, another group of Israelites are going to come in another way and attack the unguarded places. This was the plan. This is the plan that Joshua laid out for the people. The way forward, this is important, the way forward, beloved, for the nation of Israel 
at this point so that they don't fall again would be to remember the promises of God and to stick to the plan. Okay? The way forward is to remember the promises and to stick to the plan. But as Joshua is sharing the plan with the nation, right? And they know they had just been defeated and fallen before, and here comes Joshua and says, okay, I got this figured out. I know what we're going to do. How do they know that Joshua is not leading them into another defeat? How do you know that? How do you know that your plan is a good plan? And it is a plan from the Lord. Joshua could have just got, you know, went back to his room and sat down like we always do and try to figure it out ourselves, Pastor Phil. How do you know that your plan is a good plan? How do you know your way forward is the way of the Lord? There's a couple of things I think our text teaches us. The first thing is, did you look to the Lord for it? Did you look to the Lord for it? It was Joshua who stood up in front of the nation and gave the instructions. You read that. That was Joshua speaking. But verse 8 tells us at the end of everything that Joshua said, you know what verse 8 says? That Joshua was speaking according to the word of the Lord. It might have been Joshua's voice, but it was Jehovah's plan. This was Jehovah's plan. This is how we must live our lives, beloved. I mean, this, this, this is what you and I must always be listening for and looking for. You know, you may be hearing my voice, but you should be listening for God's plan. You may be hearing my voice speaking in your ears, but you need to be listening for the Lord's will. You need to be listening for God's plan. And if you belong to the Lord, let me say to you with all assurity that the Lord does have a plan for you this morning. He does have a purpose for your life. And beloved, don't, don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt that the Lord has a plan for your life. No matter where you may think it has gone, no matter how far you may think it has fallen, no matter how muddled the waters may be at the moment, no matter how many bumps there may have been in the road, you belong to the Lord. He has not forsaken you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. The goal for your life. And not only should you be listening and hearing my voice, but you should be listening for God's plan and allowing the Lord to direct your steps, to order your way. Psalm 37 and verse 23 says, The Lord 
the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. The Lord delights. He delights to reveal his will to you and to me. He delights for us to walk in his way. He delights to direct our steps. If we would only listen. For though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by his hand. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. We make our plans and where we should. But are you willing for the Lord to determine your steps? And at any moment, allow for the Lord to change those plans. Did you look to the Lord for? Did you honestly seek the Lord about? And then in seeking the Lord, the second thing you need to ask is, does it give all the glory to God? Does it give all the glory to God? You know, you read on in chapter 8 and you read on that the ambush was successful. It went just according to plan. Joshua showed up with troops out front, the men of Ai and all their confidence because they had routed the nation of Israel before. They couldn't believe that they would show up again. And they went out chasing after them. And after they went out chasing them, they found out that it was an ambush for another group of Israelites came in and took over the city. The ambush was successful. It went just as Joshua said. But so that, beloved, Joshua wouldn't get too beside himself. And so that Joshua would understand that the credit does not belong to Joshua, God did something really interesting in verse 18. See what God said in verse 18. He tells Joshua, then the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. I want you to stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai. For I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand, and he stretched it out toward Ai. Now, why would God do that? The minute, the minute, beloved, the minute that the Lord told Joshua to take that javelin in his hand and to stretch it out toward the city in which they were engaged in the battle, no doubt. Joshua immediately, immediately went back to Exodus. Immediately went back to Exodus chapter 14 with Moses there by the Red Sea. And God had told Moses to stretch out his staff and God would there rescue his people. Joshua immediately knew what that meant. 
No doubt his mind not only went to Exodus chapter 14, but also went to Exodus chapter 17 when they were fighting against the Amalekites and God told Moses to stretch out his hand and watch what the Lord does. Joshua, like Moses, at that moment was reminded, yes, Joshua, you may be standing here in the battle, but the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. You may be standing here, but remember, it was God's plan to redeem God's people through God's power for God's glory. Why does he do that, beloved? Why does he tell Joshua, Joshua, you stand back. You just stand and stretch out the javelin. Why does he do that? He does that because of what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 29, so that no flesh can glory in his presence. That's how you know. That's how you know. That's how you know it's from the Lord. Because it brings him to glory. It brings him to praise. It lifts up his name. It exalts him and makes him great. That's how you know it's from the Lord. That at the end, when it is all said and done, when the plan has been executed, then you can say like the psalmist says in Psalm 115 and verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. You see what God does? He repeats the promises. He reveals a plan, a plan that is going to be good for his people, but ultimately, it is going to glorify God. And then after that, after he repeats the promises and after he reveals the plan, next thing he does, okay, now we got to remove the problem. We got to remove the problem. And beloved, there was a problem. The problem was there were people in the land. There were people in the city of Ai. Notice what God says. Verse 24. And when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants in Ai in the open wilderness, where they pursued them and all of them to the very last had fallen by the siege of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. All, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Beloved, there were people in the land, the people in that city, 
And they were in the city that God had promised to his people. They were in the land that God had prepared for his people. They were unlawful residents in the kingdom of God. And they had overstayed their welcome. Ai belonged to God. And he had given it to Israel. And the people of Ai at that point, therefore, were trespassing on God's property. And the unfortunate thing about it, beloved, is that they were not going to leave peacefully. So God puts a ban upon the people of Ai. A ban in which he calls for the destruction of every man, woman, and child in the city of Ai. Now, God's ban upon these people may sound a little harsh. Maybe it's a lot harsh to our socially conscious, sensitive hearing. I mean, all the men, not just the soldiers, but you're saying the women, the children, tells them to hang the king, to burn the city, To leave not a trace. But I want to suggest to you this morning that I hope that falls upon you heavy. And I hope that does sound a bit harsh. And I hope this morning that you struggle with the seriousness of that call because there is a real spiritual significance. There is an important lesson for us in this this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, and we're not going to turn there, but perhaps you can read it later. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, the nation of Israel is taught that the treatment of cities outside the promised land was going to be different and less harsh than the treatment of cities within the promised land. That you were going to deal differently with those who were outside the promised land than you were going to deal with those who were actually inside the promised land. Why, beloved? Why? The reason is, is that the real danger to faithfulness is not outside. The real danger to faithfulness is not outside my heart. It's inside my heart. And oh, beloved, that I would be as diligent in pointing out the sins in my heart as I am in pointing out the sins in the world. In fact, that I would be more diligent about it. That it would be more disturbing to me that I find in my life that which is unbecoming a child of God than I am in pointing it out in the world that doesn't even know God. 
Because it is not the unbelieving world that causes me the most trouble. It is within my own heart when unbelief and unfaithfulness rises up. Am I as serious in taking down in my own life that which doesn't belong there? Am I as diligent seeking to destroy that in my own heart that causes me to sin as I am with a sin in the world. The Bible says in Psalm 139 verse 23 24 Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see, and see if there is any grievous way in me. That's the issue. That's the issue. But that is always the issue. My greatest problem is my own sin, not the sin of others. We really don't believe that. But, beloved, it really is. I had this conversation with my wife recently about this, you know. I mean, we can look all around us and, and try to figure out what in the blank are they doing? What is going on? And then we consider all of the trouble that other people's issues cause in our own lives. And when it, but when it all boils down, beloved, it all boils down, what does that mean for my relationship with God? God is not going to ask me what you did to me. God's going to want to know how I responded. Did I respond in faith? Did I respond in trust? Or did I respond in unbelief? You know, one of the most difficult things that I have to do as a pastor is to listen to people's grievances and then have to tell them you are your worst problem. Because if you really want to know, we can talk about how you're not trusting and believing God to overcome this. That is difficult, beloved. That is difficult because it sounds insensitive like God is right here. It falls upon somebody as if you don't care like God does here. But actually, it is the most loving thing to say. 
It's the most caring thing to say because you care not so much about your relationship with that person, though you do, but care more about your relationship with God. How am I trusting you, Lord? How am I trusting you? Your greatest foe is your own sin and not the sin of others. It's the enemy within my own heart that does the most damage in my life, not the enemy outside. We often say it, and this time we don't believe it, but it's true. My spouse is not my greatest problem. My children are not my greatest problem. Your neighbor or your coworker is not your greatest issue. Your friend or your ex-friend is not your greatest issue. My greatest issue is trusting the Lord through it all. My greatest issue is learning to rejoice anyway. My greatest issue is to hear Jesus say rejoice, and again I say rejoice. My greatest issue is learning in whatsoever state I am to be content. My greatest issue is really asking the Lord to search me and know me. And if you find anything in me, as I'm becoming a child of yours. Lord, deal with it, however harshly it may seem. That's how God removes the problem. It ain't always pretty, beloved. But sin isn't. And it needs to be dealt with in our own lives. Even more diligently than we seek to deal with it in the world. So he removed the problem after he had repeated the, the promise, after he had revealed the plan. And then we get to verse 30. And we are running late. But that's okay, because Alan went long. So. <laughs> and lastly, but not least, then and then he reestablished their purpose. That's what he does. That's what he does. I don't care. Care how you, you may have fallen. You may have failed. But the Lord is going to repeat his promise. He's going to reveal a plan if you listen to it. And in revealing that plan, he's going to seek to remove the problem. And then he's going to once again reestablish the purpose for which you have been called in the first place. That's what he does with, that's what he does with the nations. God has a point in all this. All this, God has a point in all this. 
You ever wonder, and you should, that this, this city, Ai, is nothing like Jericho. This is a little small city. Only 12,000 people they killed in there. Only 12,000 people. That were, this was not a big city. And yet this little small city, this little, little small battle has so much detail. Why? Why? God has, beloved, a grander purpose and plan in revealing this in the scriptures. He has this point that he is going to make, and it is the point and the purpose for which he has established his people from the very beginning. It is the point and the purpose that he reestablishes every time we fall. And that is the point and the purpose of worship. 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 Do you know that every time you fall, or every time you fail, it is essentially a failure to worship. That's what it is. It's a failure to worship. When Adam and Eve fell, fell in the garden, it was a failure to worship. When David fell with Bathsheba, it was a failure to worship. When Peter fell, it was a failure to worship. When you and I fall, it is a failure to worship God. Whenever or wherever or however we fall, it is always a failure to worship. Always. One pastor called sin this, beloved. Sin is what your heart does when you're not satisfied with God. Sin is what your heart does when you cease to worship. When you cease to be satisfied with him, when you cease to understand that worship is enough. And that's where sin comes in. And when God comes in his mercy as he did to the nation of Israel, AI, when God comes in his mercy, do you know what God comes to do, beloved? He comes to give another chance to get it right. To get what right? Another chance to get worship right. Notice, notice the goal of our text this morning. That through it all, what was God doing? He was bringing his people to a place. He's bringing them to a place. He's bringing them to Mount Ebal, to Mount Gerizim. He was bringing them to Shechem. He was bringing them to Shechem because through all that they had now experienced, what God says, okay, now that you're back in the place where you're supposed to be, I want to reestablish that for which I have originally called you, for that for which I redeemed you out of Egypt. Worship. And he reestablishes worship. He brings his place to it brings his people to a place of worship. And when you worship right, beloved, when worship is correct, here we see worship has three elements. And we're gonna be done. Promise. Three important elements that you need 
for worship. And they, they're here, right here in these, in these verses. The first one is sacrifice. The first one is sacrifice. Notice what it says. And they built an altar, right? It says they built an altar in Shechem. They gathered all the nation around. They built an offer, altar, and they offered up burnt offerings and sacrifices. The next thing they needed was a presence. How did they get the presence of God? You keep reading there, it says that they brought the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God promised to dwell, and they put it in the midst of the people. And all the people gathered around. All the nations gathered around the Ark of the Covenant, and then they began worship. They got the sacrifices, they got the presents, and then what was the last thing they needed? It was the Word. The Bible says that Joshua took the law of Moses, the Word of God, and he read all of it. He read all of it. He didn't just read verses 30 through 35. He read verses 1 through 35, Pastor Phil. When he came to Psalm 119 on Sunday morning, and we had to read it, he didn't break it up into three different parts. He read it all. All of God's Word. Did I say something? Okay. All, all of God's Word for all of God's people. What you need? Right? Sacrifice, presence, and the word. When God comes to reestablish his people for their purpose, he reestablishes them in worship. Do you know what Sunday morning is, beloved? Sunday morning is for those who have fallen. And God says, I am here to pick you up. Sunday morning is for those who need to hear the promises of God repeated. Sunday morning is for those who need to hear the revealed plan of God. Sunday morning is for those who understand that God comes to remove your problems. And Sunday morning is here for those who understand that now it is time to reestablish Worship. How do we do that, Phil? But when you come in here, you understand that there's going to be a sacrifice. It's called Jesus, the Lamb of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 29, as they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, beloved, when we come into worship this morning, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He is the one offered up on the burnt offering, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, He is our peace offering. Having been justified by faith, the Bible says we have peace with God. How do we have that peace with God? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You got a sacrifice this morning? Yeah. We can worship because we got Jesus. The sacrifice is taken care of. What we need now? Presence. Presence. The Ark of the Covenant got to be in the midst of his people, beloved. Well, we got that too. The Bible tells us as the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the midst of his people. Do you know where Jesus is this morning, beloved? He is in the midst of his people in worship this morning. 
Verse, in, in Hebrews chapter 2 and, and verse 12, Jesus says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing my own praises. He's here this morning. The Ark of the Covenant is in the midst of God's people, and God's people are gathered around it, and we are singing his praises. That's what it says right in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, where is Jesus? In the midst of it. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, where is Christ? Where is Christ? tells us that he is in the midst, walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He is in the midst of his people. So worship can be reestablished. Every morning, every Sunday morning, we got the sacrifice. Every Sunday morning, we got the presence. Now what do we need? We need the word. We need the word. And once again, and once again, beloved, we as God's people gather in here this morning and the word of God is established. Jesus Christ, the word of God, came and he dwells among us. The word of God made flesh. Seasons come and seasons go. Kings come and kings go. But you know what Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8 reminds us? That Jesus Christ is the word of God that is established forever. That's why we preach Christ. Because he is the word of God. That's why we exalt Christ. That's why we want to hear Jesus. That's how worship is reestablished. That's how our purpose is reestablished. Christ is the sacrifice. Christ is the presence. Jesus Christ is the word. So that now Jesus Christ is all and all. Whatever, whatever happens on a Sunday morning. And beloved, there are a lot of other things that happen on Sunday morning. In various churches, and in some churches there are more things than others. But if it is a faithful worship this morning, beloved, then it is ultimately centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ, his mercy and his grace, so that when we fall and we all fall, Jesus picks us up. His sacrifice, his presence, his word picks us up. When we fail, it is Jesus who brings us through. This is what's so amazing about grace. This is what's so amazing about grace. That every Sunday morning is another chance to get it right. That's why if you fail, don't stay home. If you fall, don't stay outside. Here is where the grace of God, the getting up power is. Here is another chance to get it right. To get it right. That's what's so amazing about grace. I, I, don't, I don't care how far you've fallen. I mean, I'm not going to take a survey, but how many fell this week? And beloved, how many know 
that all the elements for getting up again are here this morning. And I don't, I don't care how far you stray, the Lord will bring you back. And in bringing you back, He will take you back. And in taking you back, He will show you that He is good, that He is merciful, and that grace is amazing. Yeah, beloved, we fall down. But we get up. We fall down. But we get up. And everything necessary for you to get up this morning, you've already heard. You've already experienced. And I want to show you that God's grace is yours this morning. Let's pray.